the third, the last thing I'll say is, is I think that there's an imbalance between uh, theology and allowing music to move us emotionally. Mm. And, and I think you can swing too far one way or the other. I think music is is not meant to manipulate. No. Music is meant to to stir our affections for Christ yeah. as we sing about Him. Welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funga. And today we'll be talking to special guest Brian Croft about his work with practical shepherding, some of the musical challenges of planting a church or a revitalization, and Brian's own background in music. Stay tuned for this interview. We think you'll really enjoy it. But first, if you're listening on YouTube, hit subscribe and ring the bell so that you're notified when we drop a new episode. We're also available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to leave us a review, that would be really helpful. But the best way of all to keep in touch is by heading over to himpartial.com and subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. This is only released once a week and comes with all kinds of fun bonus content that you cannot get anywhere else. Brian Croft is the former senior pastor of Arbondale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and is the founder and executive director of Practical Shepherding. He is also senior fellow for the Mathena Center for Church Revitalization and an adjunct professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is the husband of Kara and father of four children, son Samuel and daughters Abby, Isabel, and Claire. He has served in pastoral ministry for over 25 years. Brian has written or contributed to over 25 books to help serve pastors and church leaders on the practicalities of pastoral ministry. He also leads weekly video cohorts of over 600 pastors from 46 states and 25 countries. In addition to his writing, Brian travels all over the world, preaching at local churches, speaking at conferences, and training pastors. Brian Croft, welcome to the show. Ladies, good to be with you. Thanks. Okay, well, jump right in. We thought it'd be interesting. Could you tell us a little bit about how you were saved and your background in pastoral ministry? Sure. So I I grew up uh, in a church that didn't preach the gospel. So I was in a church but I did not hear the gospel regularly growing up in church. My parents were uh, churchgoers, but but not believers. And so uh, I was converted uh, around, I was converted 13 years old at a a church youth event that that the church put on. So some college students came in and preached the gospel in the middle of the night at a youth event that I, and that's where I heard the gospel and uh, was, uh, became a believer then. And uh, my parents shortly after that became Christians. And so uh, around 13 years old is when I became a, a Christian, but I was in a church that was not a good, healthy church. So I was not discipled mm. well. Okay. And so I, I spent my teen years uh, believing still to this day, I was, I was a, a Christian and trying to just figure out how to, how to follow Jesus without good discipleship and living tough teen years and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I went to college at a place called Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a big music school. So I was pursuing Ooh. music uh, to go. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, still the place to go if you want to pursue yes. music in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, that was true about 25 years ago. And so I went down there to school. I was there two years, and uh, at, while I was there, I felt some kind of call into the ministry. I didn't know mm-hmm. how to sort through it. Again, I didn't have, I didn't have a pastor. I didn't have mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was trying to sort through this on my own. Mm-hmm. 
but I had an opportunity to go on staff at a church back home. And I left, I left Belmont and came home and went on staff at a church at 20 years old, uh, at a larger church in the youth, in the youth ministry. Okay. And then I, uh, from that day on at 20 years old, I've been on staff at a church every day of my life for the last 25 years. Wow. Uh, some kind of pastoral role until I transitioned from Auburndale, uh, uh, at the end of, at the end of last year. Yeah. So, um, my, I, I had a rough, I had an unorthodox road in a sense that I really never had a good pastor. Mm. Uh, I, I really wasn't discipled well, mm-hmm. um, but had some good Christian friends that helped me grow and learn, learned ministry ropes the hard way, Yeah. Uh, making a lot of mistakes, not having a lot of guidance. And mm. I went into ministry when I was 20 years old and I, I shouldn't have been in the ministry at 20 years old at that time. I <laughs> uh, didn't know my Bible, a pretty immature Christian still. And so the Lord was kind to not just, you know, just destroy my uh, life and ministry in those early years yeah. of some of the responsibilities that I had. But God was kind and helped me to learn. And, and then I eventually uh, had some pastoral mentors outside the churches I was serving in that took me in. I joked with them out of pity. They took me in. They saw <laughs> what I was doing. I was like, man, you need help. Come on. So yeah. uh, they, uh, they, br- they brought me in and I, I had mentors that taught me what a pastor is really mm-hmm. supposed to be mm-hmm. and what it, what a ch- local church is really supposed to be. Yeah. And that was life changing. Um, I, I gained a, a, a couple years after in my early twenties, I was married by then mm-hmm. serving on staff at a church and just came to a realization. I didn't know the word mm-hmm. and it was very convicting to me. Didn't know how to study my Bible. Nobody had taught me how to do that. Oh. And my wife is the one that actually taught me how to study my Bible. She was a student of the word and wow. uh, taught me how to observe the text and, yeah. and kind of a, a, um, inductive study method that, uh, that I learned here in the States and the, this, the, the light bulbs went on. And I, I think God did, a, I don't think it was a conversion experience, but it was, it was conversion like to just mm. open my eyes to the word. And that changed everything. I wow. started devouring the word and mm-hmm. it started growing and learning mm-hmm. and just, you know, the, the transforming power of the word in our life, uh, like yeah. that's reading it hours a day, that eventually led to feeling a call to want to preach and teach and to want to shepherd people as I learned what a pastor was. And so that I spent eight and a half years doing associate pastor work, a combination of youth and then music ministry. So I I served on staff uh, before I went to Auburndale, I served on staff at a church about it's a large church, about 1200 people. And I was on the music staff there and it was a giant operation. And that's where a lot of my music experience came from in, in church. Yeah. trying to trying to figure out music and things in in that kind of environment. Then I went to Auburndale and was there 17 years. What uh, what instruments do you play or what musically? Sorry, did I steal the oh, words yeah, from your I mouth? Was just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I uh, I primarily play piano and guitar. Ooh. Uh, pretty self-taught for the most part. I, mm. I didn't have any formal training. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I was um, 10 years old, my mo- my mother made myself and my brother and my sister all play learn p- to play piano. You know, mm. like parents do. They, yeah. I guess, have dreams for their kids. But like, no, you just need to learn music. Okay. <laughs> she had us all three of us uh, take piano lessons. And after six months, they let my sister and my brother quit, but they wouldn't let me quit. Oh. <laughs> because they told me, I, because they told the music teacher said, no, he has a he has a gift for this in the oh. way you're. Your other children don't. I'm 11, oh, no. right? Like that doesn't, that's not special to me. I think I'm being punished, you know, because I wanted to quit too. So, yeah. uh, so I, I played, I had about three years of, of music lessons and I was taught yeah. to play piano 
uh, by ear. So um, I didn't know how to read music, Mm -hmm. but I, but at a young age started learning how to just play and learn by ear. Yeah. uh, Learned. uh, And then later started to learn theories or uh, uh, chords and uh, music theory and those kind of things. And that led to uh, uh, writing, arranging, uh, really kind of thinking outside the box musically and allow it really tapped into a creative side of me that I was able to start developing as a teenager. So I played piano start. I picked up a guitar in college yeah. and um, because I was doing, I was like traveling, doing some short-term mission trips and thought, yeah, I'm not lugging a keyboard. all, no. all <laughs> places. And so I learned to play guitar just to kind of be able to lead some singing and yes. things on some of the trips I was taking. And so piano and guitar are my two main instruments. But when I started doing music ministry in, in a serious way in some big churches that were pretty, had these giant operations, I was uh, developing a lot of players and, instru- and instrumentation. And so mm-hmm. I, I felt like I had to try to learn these uh, instruments to be able to help guide people in leading them. So I learned to play bass. I learned to play drums a little bit. I learned wow. to play some auxiliary percussion. So what? I picked up some of that stuff, but I'm, but I, I'm certainly more proficient at piano and guitar mainly. Wow. So many talents. <laughs> That's kind of like Cara. She's learned a lot like of me. <laughs> well, she knows a lot of instruments, but you've learned them by ear. I sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm a massive supporter of teaching people to learn by ear because you won't necessarily always have the dots. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But sometimes my pastor will just hand me the lyrics with chords above it and hand me my cello and be like, play this song. And I'm like, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give me a minute. <laughs> but she like still sorts it. Like most non-musical people, you have to look at them and go, yeah, that's not exactly how this works. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, but that's that's it, though. I think another reason I'm I'm glad I did that. And by the way, you can imagine as I started to I go to Belmont and want to pursue music. My parents were like, now you have to learn how to re- read music. Now yeah. You, you can't. You can't. You're not gonna be able to do music by just doing you know chords and theory and and all this kind of stuff. And of course, you know, I did I didn't know the answer to that question. But yeah. um, what I learned to appreciate is the training of both. You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, when I started to meet some people who knew how to sight read and actually how to read music mm-hmm, yeah. and play it, mm-hmm. but also had the skill to uh, have co- co- no chords and theory and improvise and be cre- creative. It kind of, people who have the right talent, it brings the two together. Yeah. What I find with people who just sight read is it's pretty mechanical when they mm-hmm. play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not a lot of just natural flow to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then of course you go to the other side and, and those people kind of all over the place sometimes with no structure. So when yeah. I met some people who had le- had been trained in both, I, yeah. that, that certainly seems to be ideal. It's a really good balance. Yeah. yeah. Wow, Tennessee. I love it. I love it. Um, so you kind of, I mean, we obviously jumped ahead a little bit here, but can you tell us just briefly about the work you're doing with Practical Shepherding? I know uh, we've got your books on our shelf and my husband's a big fan, but for those who don't know, can you just speak a little bit about what that work is and, and how you got started in it. Yeah. So when I went to Auburndale Baptist church 17 years ago, it was a, it was a dead dying church, Southern Baptist church on the South end of Louisville. Um, probably two to three years from closing. I mean, you know, uh, about just, just elderly people in the church, a couple mm-hmm. dozen people mm-hmm. uh, and the, the church was uh, in financial shambles. The building was falling apart. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, a very typical back then church revitalization dying church situation, which mm-hmm. we didn't have categories for, like we, we've kind of developed in the last, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. And, but that's where I went, felt called and went, to, went to pastor and left this 
I left this this big church music position that people thought I was crazy to then leave for a dying church <laughs> and kind of had for a musician I kind of had the the ideal job in a lot of people's minds mm. uh, but I, I went to all, felt called there and also you know I felt called to pastor I wanted to mm. shepherd people I wanted to I wanted to preach and teach and and learn wanted to put into practice what I had been taught mm -hmm. and so I went there but it was a it was a rough place it was a hostile environment there were mm -hmm. three different movements to get me fired in the first five years of the church Goodness. uh some people uh may, would may know my story that that listened to the podcast so I'm not going to get into all that but I uh it was a rough place and the first five years were, were pretty tough mm -hmm. but the Lord is also at work in those first five years and what happened is God sent my lack of mentoring that I got all those years mm -hmm. God used to just light a, a fire in me to say you know, and a passion to want to train people for ministry. If God yeah. gave me that chance yeah, and to help them learn and, and mentor them and teach them in a way I didn't have. Yeah. And so, which, which, you know, is a wonderful lesson to learn from just the way God works, right? We, uh, God, a lot of times gives us our greatest passions out of what we had to learn the hard way. Mm. Um, but that it's etched in our minds and then we're able to be passionate about how we train and how we apply that in our, just in our Christian life and our ministry. Yeah. That was my case. Um, in the, uh, in the early years at Auburndale, there were some young guys that showed up at the church who had come from the seminary, just wanted to come help. Mm -hmm. And that opened up a way to be able to, to train some guys, just start training guys in ministry, just dragging them to the hospitals, the funeral homes with me, uh, wow. taking them to care for the widows yeah. and teaching them about ministry. And I just started doing those kinds of things. They asked me to write some stuff down for them. Uh, that ended up being a, developed into a, a book on hospital visitation called Visit the Sick. And that was really wow. the first book. I wasn't a writer, by the way. And so <laughs> I was terrified to do this and to even write anything down for them. And I, I, I didn't know how to write. I learned to write as I was writing books. By the way, ladies, a bad way to do it, just so you know. Don't do it that way. <laughs> Learn to write first. And, but God was kind to give me some really good help uh, yeah. to help me figure this out. Yeah. And so that, that book, and then we started a blog. This is 10 years ago when blogs were just blowing up and were huge. Mm -hmm. We started a blog, and we called it Practical Shepherding. So mm -hmm. that's really the, the beginning of Practical Shepherding was that mm -hmm. book, that mm -hmm. practical book on hospital visitation, and then a blog where we kind of opened it up for other pastors to dialogue about practical things. Mm -hmm. So that's how Practice Shepherding started. That was about 10, 11 years ago, and it just steadily grew uh, into what it, what it is now, and a little bit what you described in, in the bio. And it kept growing to, and developing so much that last year is when I, I felt just leading of the Lord that it was time to transition from pastoral ministry to serve full-time with this, with this mm -hmm. role. Mm -hmm. and so that's that's what I'm doing full time now, mm -hmm. uh, starting since January. So last mm -hmm. six months, I've been serving practical shepherding full time. Mm -hmm. I also have a role at the seminary where um, uh, where there's a church revitalization center that was started there that wow. they asked me to run. Yeah. So I do church revitalization work with practical shepherding, just training pastors and caring for pastors. Yeah. And then the Mathena Center at Southern allows me to train students on how to go in to do church revitalization. Yeah. So. You kind of get them at the front end, yeah, and then you get get to do work in the in the kind of in the middle and during, yeah, yeah. and that's uh, that's been a good combination. So that's what my full time ministry is right now. Wow, wow, and I and like I said, just knowing a little bit about the the ministry that you do, I know is hugely helpful to those who are yeah. participating in and and have had the opportunity to read your books and and see you in person, and also just selfishly being married to a pastor, I know how important it is to have that sort of pastoral care. 
um, available. So that's really, really cool. And that's exciting for us to, to hear how that got started. It is. And it's so good to hear, like you're saying about training people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in Scotland, training younger guys is still quite a new concept. It is. For some people. Yeah. So it's, it's really good. Um, but on the subject of church revitalization and church planting, what are some of the sort of music related challenges in church planting and revitalization? Yeah, so I, I think... I'm trying to think of where to, there's a lot, right? So yeah. where, to, where to start with all this? I'll first say this. I, I have learned it really doesn't matter uh, where you live. I found that that Britain as well as the States kind of have similar problems, mm. which was kind of surprising to me because America is known as kind of the, the, the hotbed of just consumeristic church life, mm. which is usually what causes the conflicts in churches mm. around music mm-hmm. uh, because everybody has their own individual preference of what they want the music to be yeah. in a church. So one of the ways a lot of people solve that is I'm going to pick my church based on uh, the music and style and, and the music, the kind of songs that are sung and all those kind of, yeah. but what is that? Well, that that's being a consumer. Yeah. And, and I think that um, that that's been a common thing, I think in, in the States. And then I was surprised I was, you know, I spent a lot of time in Scotland and England the last several years doing ministry and pretty surprised on how common that is, uh, mm-hmm. in the UK. Yeah. So I, I was, so I just let, let me know this, this isn't a cultural thing as much as this is kind of a human being thing. Yeah. I think. And, uh, and so I think that is, I would just make a broad stroke with planting and revitalization around that, I think, mm-hmm. but there's different, you almost have different starting points, but you have the same issue. Yeah. So a plant can, st- can do the kind of music they want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, from the beginning in a way that revitalization, you kind of have to spend years slowly moving to where you want to go. But you are still, a pastor is still feeling the pressure of accommodating what people style and kind of songs and music Mm -hmm. and instrumentation and all that stuff that people want you to do. Yeah. Uh, So you, a plant may be able to start with a certain style and, and songs and hymns and those kind of things. But uh, you, depending on, who you're trying to reach, you know, are you going to try to accommodate them and bring them into the church using music as a, as a tool to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you just going to try to find, you know, not try to be defined by a style necessarily, but by the, the content of what you sing, mm-hmm. not so much a how you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's a, I think there's a unique pressure on planters around that because, you know, plants have to grow to a point in mm-hmm. the, in those yeah. early years or they don't survive. Mm-hmm. So pastors just get, I think just get desperate at times and yeah. try to figure out little ways to maybe be pragmatic and how to get people there. Yeah. Church revitalization is a matter of you go in and, and a lot of times you inherit a, a, a service, a music style, a hymns and things that you just don't like that you don't think are helpful. In a lot of ways, it's the, in a lot of re- situations, it's the reason the church is dying. One of the mm. reasons the church is dying mm. is that they have veered away from, what they probably should be doing musically from a content standpoint, certainly, as well as just a, a, a how to do music well and in a way that's helpful to people. Yeah. So I think that just in a broad stroke, the, the, the consumeristic mindset that so many Christians bring to the table mm-hmm. when they go into a church is the biggest hurdle and the starting point, I think, for, um, for music in, mm-hmm. in both planting and revitalization. I think it's the same problem, but it's two different starting points. Yeah. 
do, do you think that there's a way that pastors and maybe music leaders, if your church is big enough to have that, <laughs> can can kind of foster like a theological foundation for the people in the congregation to understand and better think about how they worship in song? Because I think... Yes. As you were talking, I was like, oh, my goodness, I could think of at least a dozen examples of like all the things that you're saying in terms of folks being like the first time they came in, they're like, we really like how you do X or we really don't like how you do X in terms of the music or so and so shows up, even though they're really anti guitar or the fact that they come from a psalm only tradition and all of these questions that all of these preferences, like you say, these consumer preferences that really don't have anything to do with scripture. Is there a way that you've seen or that you've accomplished in terms of being able to build a theological foundation, first of all, to help people accept and grow in their singing uh, hymns or whatever on a Sunday? Yo, I think you have to start with just the church's statement of faith, just the basic beliefs of of what the church holds to doctrinally, Mm -hmm. and then letting that drive the content of your Mm -hmm. singing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you have to, I think you have to start there. So, you know, that, that puts up at least some guardrails, I think, Mm. uh, because there may be some hymns that you would or wouldn't sing based on what, what details of your doctrinal statement that the church holds to. Mm. So I do think that's the, that's the beginning stage. That's, that's the guardrails to, to start from. But I also think you have to, so I think there's some categories. I think you have to think about in your church around music. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky because you have to, I think you have to think in these categories and yet not veer too far over to, we're doing this because people like it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing this because we think this is helpful. Mm-hmm. And we're doing this because we think this is going to encourage people to sing and, and mm-hmm. worship, which is what this church is doing when they gather. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, so a couple of categories. One is um, I think being theologically and doctrinally solid and robust, but not so much that it overwhelms the congregation. Mm, mm-hmm. So I, I think you have to think theologically. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced after all these years that uh, that content is what unites a church around music. Okay. Uh, and that has to be the priority. Of what, so hopefully, like nobody's going to agree it's all together. We want the music to be just this way. Yeah. Uh, show me that church. I'd love to meet them if it exists. <laughs> but I have not yet with all the hundreds of churches I work with. But what I have found is there's a lot of churches that agree doctrinally on what we're singing. Mm -hmm. So I believe that's the tool to unity around music. Mm -hmm. Start there. Mm -hmm. So content of the songs. And then I think uh, you have to start thinking pastorally around it. And that Mm -hmm. means, you know, I I mean, what I mean by that is you, you have to think about how much can a congregation handle in these different ways that music brings. So, you know, there are, so, Churches that do, you know, like psalm only singing. I mean, I love singing the psalms, mm-hmm. that aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just really hard to sing. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, it's not the psalms word for word. It's, it's, you know, it's bringing out really hard theological concepts and mm-hmm. adding that into just making it really dense. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that you have to, you have to be mindful that, that people only can, you know, only can handle so much big words and yeah. big terms and thinking. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to be mindful that people, all, uh, most people aren't musicians. Yeah. So, you know, the, the classic mistake I've watched happen is musicians. A lot of times when that plan, the, 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 the singing and the 
a musical part of the service, at least to some degree, yeah. or at least they're involved. And they don't take into account that musicians pick up melodies and singing a lot easier than people who don't sing. Yeah. So yeah. I think a, a lot of times the problem is uh, people are asked to do too much mm-hmm. and they're having to focus so much on what's being asked of them that they're not able to focus ironically on what we're trying to sing, yeah. which moves <laughs> us to worship the Lord. The third, the last thing I'll say is, is I think that there's an imbalance between uh, theology and allowing music to move us emotionally. Mm. And, and I think you can swing too far one way or the other. I think music is, is not meant to manipulate. No. Music you know, is meant to to stir our affections for Christ mm, yeah, as we yeah. sing about Him. Yeah. And so to try to, I've watched some music music approaches to try to take the emotion really out of mm. the, the the music and the mm. melodies that stir our emotions and our affections. And I think that's really I think that's really dangerous and unhelpful. So yeah. you almost want to get all the senses of our mind. If we're going to get our mind and our heart and our soul engaged when we sing, Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have to plan music and certain hymns and how we do them around that as a goal. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And we often tease each other on this show about certain songs that we like that are quote unquote sentimental. Um, But, you know, the correction for our teasing is always that, you know, as long as we're, as long as we're, as long as theologically, it's yeah, good. it's fine it's if it's okay. a little bit flowery. God, God has given us emotions, so yeah. it's okay to uh, experience them in their. In I think for us, the other thing as well is coming from Reformed churches. Mm-hmm. I know that one of the churches I grew up in, um, kind of did have a thing about emotions are not good, and <laughs> we mustn't get really emotional, um, yeah. and it has been. A journey finding the balance yeah. i think between being moved genuinely yeah. moved um but not going too far one way or the other yeah, yeah. and i and i'll add this i think when you, in a church revitalization context you're coming into a church with a lot of history usually mm. long-term members who whether you like it or not have favorite hymns for a reason yeah. yeah and i think one of the the parts of just wisdom and discernment a pastor has to have when he comes in he needs to do his homework to learn what those are yeah. And why and needs to pick his battles on the ones he wants to throw out and, yeah. and then maybe have to stomach some of the ones that he that he needs to still sing, because there may be a, an emotional connect. You know, so, I mean, uh, a widow in the church. Right. Her her husband's favorite hymn was this hymn. Yeah. Well, OK, it might be a little sentimental and flowery <laughs> to where you maybe wouldn't choose to do that. But I don't think that's I don't think that's playing to a preference mm. if you sing that hymn at that point. Mm. I think it's knowing your people and, mm. and providing an opportunity for them to emotionally and mentally and spiritually connect to mm-hmm. what you're singing about. So yeah. I think in revitalization context, pastors have to do a lot of hard work to just learn. Again, it's not what you your preferences are, but why do hymns and certain wordings of hymns mean a lot to you? Yeah. And that should matter in the context of make, picking those songs. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Amen. That's great. Well, we always like to um, end our interviews with the hardest question of all time. <laughs> it's such a mean question. It's such a mean time. question. Um, you're allowed to pick more than one. <laughs> but what is your personal favorite or a few of your favorites? Hymns. Oh, that Hymns. is the cruelest question. You're right. <laughs> and when someone asked me to pick one thing out of some, I guess like, that's like asking me my pick my favorite hymn. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I would, um, 
I, I, I would have to throw out a couple. How's that? Okay. Uh, That's good. Just to pick my absolute favorite. But um, I would say, um, yeah, so I would say thinking a couple of categories, I think there's some hymns that, that really stir my affections for the gospel mm-hmm. and uh, that, that I think music and singing and hymns can uniquely do. And uh, really helped me connect to that. So, I, uh, so a hymn, um, "There's a Fountain," I love. Yes. Um, and let's see, uh, some of those in those categories. So, "And Can It Be" um, nice. is is another hymn <laughs> that I just love. So, yes. uh, I, I but I, the one that I also have really grown to love um, the the hymns that kind of meet us in our suffering, mm-hmm. and and a couple that come to mind. I love it as well with my soul. Mm. uh can barely sing the third verse most every time i sing it you know yeah. um and so it brings that you know it brings that aspect of god's comfort and the, the certainty and the promise of of what christ has done for us i think that that's a wonderful um just a wonderful way to approach uh picking hymns and those kind of things yes uh, it is well with my soul and then i would say abide with me is, is a really Ooh. special hymn to me but that's that's got a more of a personal note I, it was a yeah. it was a hymn that um you know, just was a great comfort to me in some really hard, hard times for me. Yeah. So, which wow. is a lot of work, why our favorite hymns become their favorite hymns. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I, did, well, I picked four. I didn't pick one, ladies. I picked four. So there you go. It's funny because I, so we associate Abide With Me with football because it's sung at football matches. So I was always kind of like, oh, but then we did an episode on it earlier this year and I actually sat down and read the lyrics. And I was like, this song is good. Yeah. Like, it's it's yeah. a good song. It is. Amazing Grace is that for us, at least in yeah. the States. Like, yeah. you know, uh, the, the most, you know, the most unbelieving people on the planet will sing Amazing Grace at a funeral. Yeah. You know, I mean, just yeah. kind of, so it, but it's a great hymn. I, yeah. I actually love the hymn, but you kind of have to Gotta gotta yeah. cut through what it what it becomes in some different yeah. contexts, right? There's yeah. some great extra verses to that one as well, um, which walk more through like your actual life and sanctification too. Mm-hmm. So that's worth looking up. Anyway. Yeah. No, yeah. that's great. I was thinking, and can it be? That's your fave. Isn't I that love that's your like Yeah, that's the number one. Um and shameless plug, we have episodes on all of those songs. So if this is your first time Excellent. listening to us, definitely we'll link in the description yep. uh, because they're they're great songs and we learned a lot about them over the last year. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe you guys will learn from that as well. So you're saying I picked good hymns is what you're That's saying. what I'm saying. We approve. totally unplanned, but <laughs> all good. <laughs> well, That's good. Great. We'll just trust the, the leading of the spirit in that moment for me to pick those hymns we didn't yes. talk about before, right? <laughs> Well, we just want to thank you so much for coming on this show. Um, if you have uh, listened to this episode and you're loving what you heard, you can follow Brian on Twitter at Pastor Croft or at Practical Shep. And you can also visit him at practicalshepherding.com. So Practical Shep has an H on the end, just saying. Oh, yes. It's like Chef. Chef. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just so that you get the right account. And that's that's Twitter and that's Twitter and Facebook. But if people want to reach out to us, uh, there's a contact page at practiceshepherding.com, our website, yeah. and, and tons of resources. If people want to know more, that's the best, probably the best place to start. And, and we do encourage you guys listening to check it out. There's some really good stuff going on at Practical Shepherding. And we're so glad we could have you on the show. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so Lovely much. Lovely to be with you. Thanks. <laughs>